Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way. This is a podcast for serious writers who want to develop their skills in artistry and stand out in a crowded industry by taking intelligent, creative risks. I'm your host, Jonathan Ball. I hold a PhD in literature. I'm the author of uh, numerous books, and I take a very analytical approach to art making, emphasizing both efficiency and experimentation. Please consider doing me a favor and pre-ordering my new book uh, from Coach House Books, The National Gallery. Uh, it contains sonnets for Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, elegies in the manner of Rilke, but for a dead iPhone, uh, and other strange missives from yours truly, the poet laureate of hell. So go to thenationalgallery.ca for more information. That's thenationalgallery.ca. Thanks. I want to spend some time talking about editing because writers always complain to me especially younger writers but even you know writers who have been writing for a long time uh, they often complain that they have a common frustration which is that they don't know when they're done editing (laughs) you know it can seem endless editing can just seem to go on and on and on You you work so hard to do the first draft of something you know, you struggle and you struggle and you struggle through that. Maybe you've done a short story and, you know, that takes a long time often. Uh, maybe you've done a poem, even, you know, that can be quick. But um, even so, uh, it often, you know, becomes mystifying when it comes to the editing process. Uh, and maybe you've worked on a novel. Maybe you've actually undertaken a massive project like a novel or put together a whole collection of poetry or something like that. Uh, and now you're in the moment where you're starting to edit your work. Uh, maybe it's something short like an essay, you know, even that you're writing for school. Um, regardless of what you're working on, uh, it can seem endless. It can seem very difficult to determine whether you are making progress or whether you're just um, spinning your wheels. And it can sometimes just seem like a process that fundamentally doesn't end. Well. Uh, What I've noticed with writers uh, is that they may be excellent writers often, but maybe they never spend as much time learning editing. You know, I find that many writers are good editors or good self-editors, but many are not. Uh, And even if they are good editors of other people's work, often they have kind of problems self-editing, problems getting that same level of objectivity uh, about their own work. Um, maybe they are good writers or even just you know decent editors, but they have never learned an efficient process for editors editing. So they may be a very good editor, but they may take a lot of time or just feel like they don't know when to stop. You know, I, I hear that a lot. You know, that's one of the most common things that I hear in creative writing classes. I always ask students that start the class, um, "What is your biggest problem as a writer?" and Uh, There are a few common answers, and one of the most common answers is they don't know when they are finished editing. How do you tell when something's done is the question I get asked a lot. I'm down here, by the way, in uh, the Exchange District of Winnipeg. Down the street is the Fringe Festival. Uh, Outside, of course, it's Winnipeg, uh, downtown especially. There's always sirens. There's always things going on. Uh, so I just want you to know that if, you know, sirens break in. I just stopped and restarted um, because of, you know, crazy sirens. Um, I'll try to edit out sirens, but, you know, if they're not that close or if I, you know, am just on a roll, I'll just keep them in. Um, just an FYI. I don't have, you know, uh, really, uh, you know, the setup to soundproof things or to do things in some... Uh, 
you know, fancier method. I'm just kind of doing this by myself right now. You know, I don't make any money with this podcast, so uh, just FYI, there's a few sirens in the background from time to time. Uh, in any case, um, the thing that I always, 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 always hear from writers uh, about editing is this question of how do I know when I'm done editing? I know often people at worst don't know how to edit at all. You know, so maybe they're very good writers, but they just haven't learned an editing process. They're reliant on others for editing. Uh, my belief is that you shouldn't be reliant on other people for editing. I think it's useful to get editing, you know, to get outside editing from others. You know, I always uh, am seeking, you know, feedback from editors and so on. But I can do the editing myself. The reason I want that feedback is I want uh, that additional dimension of, uh, you know, another perspective on editing and on my own work uh, but if I can't get it for whatever reason you know if I just don't have the budget for it or if I just don't have um, you know the time for it maybe I'm in a time crunch or if I just don't have somebody who you know owes me a favor in editing at that moment or whatnot or I don't you know I don't I'm not in the publishing process yet I don't have an outside editor uh, from the press coming in uh, I mean, if I'm at an earlier stage where I have to rely on myself as an editor, I can do it because I developed a process for editing. I developed an efficient process that works no matter what you apply it to. Uh, and now when you get into specifics of certain types of editing, like say editing a poetry book, it can get very complicated, like when you're looking at a really specific uh, scenario. But broadly speaking, I always use the same editing process. I just refine it in different ways depending on what I'm doing if I'm working on a story or if I'm working on a poem or if I'm working on a poetry book or some you know, screenplay or something, uh, I still am doing the same process. I'm just doing it sort of, uh, when I get down to a, a micro level, uh, I do things a little differently. Uh, at that stage, I tweak it in certain ways. But I'm broadly speaking using the same uh, four-stage editing process. And I do this for a couple of reasons, which I'll get into shortly. Um, but the core reason is that I want to have an efficient process that works. Um, I find that people often don't have this, and they shouldn't, you know, necessarily expect to. You know, editing is not writing. It uses a lot of the same skills, but it's a different skill. Uh, again, at worst, people don't know how to edit at all. At best, people often don't know when to stop editing. You know, sometimes they have a very good process and are very good editors, uh, but they just have a sort of interminable process. Their editing process is haphazard, perhaps. Um, it maybe works in the sense that they can get a strong piece when they're done, but it maybe takes very long, or at least longer than it needs to. Uh, maybe it's just kind of haphazard. They don't really know where they are in the process sometimes. Uh, or maybe it never f truly feels like it has begun or truly feels like it's done. Um, for these sorts of reasons, like I had all these same frustrations for many years. Uh, and I decided, you know, I really need a process for editing that is consistent and systematic in the sense that, you know, I felt like I needed a process that I could use over and over again. Again, that's systematic in the sense that it could be repeated. You know, so that every time I finished a short story, I didn't have to devise a new process for editing. I could use the same process. I also needed a process that I th was systematic in the sense that I could teach others. You know, I'm also, uh, as I'm you know, writing, I'm thinking about you know, teaching what I've learned to people, uh, whether I'm in a creative writing class or you know, talking on a podcast like this or writing on a blog or whatever, you know, mentoring somebody. I just want to be able to teach somebody a process that works for me. I find that a lot of writers 
uh, are in that scenario where they just don't know what they're doing. And maybe they're getting good results. Like that's the sort of, <laughs> the sort of um, strange thing about it is you can be a, in an artistic field, you can be very, very good at what you're doing and have no idea what you're doing. You know, you can kind of be operating on an instinct that you've honed, but be sort of unconsciously operating. Uh, I don't find that is useful for um, other people. It's maybe useful for you, like if you're the person operating like that way. Um, I mean, it's great if you have good instincts and you can operate on instincts. But what happens at a certain point is your instincts fail you. Um, and I think that... Um, it helps to understand what you're doing, no matter what. Whether you want to teach it to somebody else, and of course you have to understand it, or whether you want to just, you know, be improving what you're doing in a sort of conscious manner, it helps to understand what you're doing. So I, over the years, uh, encountered all these same frustrations, and I devised a four-stage editing process. Uh, now, when I explain this process to people, and when I explain it to you, it's gonna seem like a lot of work. But actually, it's designed to reduce the amount of work that you would be doing. So I will just warn you about this. It seems like a lot of work uh, because you know I'm staging it out in this kind of systematic manner. Um, but it's replacing a lot of haphazard, unstaged work. And so uh, instead of doing 20 drafts, you maybe are doing five drafts in my process. Um, but at the same time, you're actually doing more extensive rewriting than you would do in, in those greater amount of drafts and in less time. So the kind of way that my process works, again, it'll seem like more work, but in many ways it's less work. Basically what I'm doing is I'm gonna take your endless amount of drafts, like say you do 20 drafts of a story, which I've done in the past, I've done 20, 30 drafts. I'm gonna cut it down to roughly you know five drafts, maybe a few more. Um, and I'm going to, uh, you're gonna complete each of those drafts in more less time uh, than it would take you to do those larger drafts. But each single draft will take more time. So sort of the way that I, my process works is, you know, just for the rough estimated math, is you're sort of doing more work than you would do in 20 drafts in five drafts. But then you're doing it in less time than it took you to write those 20 drafts. But then every single one of the drafts that I'm going to make you do it will take more time than the drafts you would have made yourself do, if that makes sense. So the math is, you know, you're doing fewer drafts. Each draft takes longer. Uh, total, you're taking less time. But most importantly, you know where you are in the process. Like you know when you're at what stage. And you're not lost. You know how close you are to being done, more or less. You know where you are. Now, my process uh, gives you a very... Is, is it isn't the only process. I'll just say that, of course. There's other people who have other editing processes. Uh, I try to boil down to a pretty simple uh, thing that you can apply in you know, any sort of work. Uh, and then later on in future podcasts and in other things, I'll explain in a bit more detail like how you would apply it you know, more specifically to particular projects. So I want to talk later on about doing, say, a poetry book and some of the considerations that are specific and unique to that. Um, but I'm going to just talk generally now about the process uh, of editing, which, again, could work for anything. So I would use the same process, whether I'm you know, working on a novel, or a short story, a poem, whatever. And the reason, again, that I'm focusing on this is I want to 
clear, structured way to approach editing. I don't want to be doing endless editing uh, where you don't even know you're making things better or worse. Uh, I don't think it's worthwhile tinkering around with a bunch of words you can later delete. You know, the process I'm proposing is pretty linear in the sense that you're moving forward. You don't really move backwards. Um, you're not really muddling about anymore and not knowing whether you're addressing your problems or just doing busy work writing and editing. I think it's a big problem with a lot of people's editing processes. They, they do a lot of revisions that don't really matter. Like they later delete, they write things and then they change things and they change it back and they change it forward and then they end up deleting what they wrote and then they write some more stuff then they delete that and then they you know, shuffle things around. You know, they don't really know where they are at. Uh, so I took many years to develop a process uh, that works in a more linear fashion where you know kind of where you're at, you know when you're moving forward and when you're and you don't move backwards. Um, so my core philosophy is this, and the core philosophy behind this four-stage editing process is this. You, know, you should edit with a particular goal, the goal of being as efficient as possible you know, while trying to manufacture objectivity. Now, much of the standard advice you hear about editing is also advice about this, about attempting to manufacture objectivity. For example, uh, you have this well-worn advice to put your manuscripts in a, in a drawer and come back to it in six months later. Uh, you know, like, you know, write a short story, we'll put it away, come back to it in like six to five, eight months later, and then edit it, okay? I'm sure you've heard some variation of that advice. Now, this is good advice in the sense that you get a certain level of objectivity because you basically become a different person. Like This is the process. You become a different person. You look at the manuscript that this past you wrote, uh, and you now are viewing it from this new perspective, the perspective of you know basically another person having gotten some distance from it. Uh, you've gotten some distance from the situation of writing the draft. It's possible to view it with you know more or less fresh eyes. So you, again, you've probably heard some version of that advice. Now I think it is terrible advice, <clears throat> and I'm pretty much alone in this. It seems almost everybody will <laughs> give you the other advice. I think this is a terrible advice for one simple reason. Here's the problem you have to put the manuscript away for six months or whatever it is. People tell, give this advice and it's baffling to me. Like if I was teaching a creative writing class, it's like a three month period and somebody asked me, hey, what's the edit, what are I doing in editing? And I would go to them, well, what we're gonna do in the editing portion of this class is you're gonna take the thing you wrote and you're gonna put it in a drawer and then you know, six months later you should edit it somehow when the class has been over for three months. You know, it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes you need to start working on the thing like tomorrow. You got a deadline. You don't have six months to screw around. You know, if you've ever in a situation, if it, I mean, it's great if you got endless time. Uh, but it, often, as a writer, of course, you're in a deadline situation. You have to finish by a certain date. Um, this drawer method doesn't work. It has inherent flaws. The goal is admirable. You're trying to figure out ways to see what you've written without getting lost in the language itself. You know, getting lost in your own emotions concerning the thing you've written. And so the further you move from the situation of writing it, the further you're divorcing yourself from that scenario in which you created the text, the more objective you can be about it. Sure, fine. Uh, but you're gonna lose, one, the momentum of being interested in wanting to write the thing in the first place. You're gonna lose any you know, uh, you know, conscious or even unconscious uh, kind of juice, you know, that's been the sparking your interest and 
uh, just you know the immersion you've had in the project is gone you know six months later or whenever you know you come back to the manuscript I just have forgotten to come back to manuscripts you know personally like I go through my files and it's just a constant nightmare of tons of things that I can't even remember ever having written and some of it's you know quite good could have used another draft but you know I was doing this manuscript uh, in the drawer method and now I don't even know how many manuscripts I've got in this drawer the drawer is digital now right uh, and so you know the goal is good the end product of like trying to manufacture objectivity in a certain manner is an admirable uh, and, and correct approach um, but the process has just so many problems you're going to lose out uh, on so much by just waiting you know six eight you know three weeks whatever you just wait that length of time you're killing your momentum it's not that you can't come back but it's you know it's not that it's going to not work uh but you know, what do you do when you're on deadline? What do you do when you have a lot of excitement? You want to get into the editing process as fast as possible. How do you manufacture objectivity in a short span of time? Well, that's my process: uh, is you know finding ways to manufacture objectivity in a short span of time. Now, here's the basic structural approach that I take. Uh, I call this kind of structural editing because I haven't come up with a cooler name than that. Uh, but my four-stage process is this: first. You focus on structural issues in two parts, you know, macrostructure and microstructure. Then you focus on stylistic issues in two parts. You focus on style and you focus on mechanics. Now, when I start to explain these in a bit more detail, I think you'll start to see uh, where this process is going to deviate from really the processes you hear about. So the first thing I encourage you to focus on and spend a lot of time in is macro structure. So stage one of my four stage editing process is what I call macro structure. Uh, and the first thing that I encourage you to focus on in editing is this, the overall structure of the work. Now, this is incredibly difficult to do. And I will say that uh, as I explain it, it'll make more sense about how you could do it. But often what people do is skip this part of the process. So I'm going to give you a four-stage process, but I want to just point out before I do, mostly what people do is they jump to my stage three, uh, and they don't even do stage one or two, or they do it in a haphazard manner in fits and starts while they're doing other things. Uh, I want to really encourage you to try this process I'm going to lay out for you, which is a very different process. And again, it starts uh, with this macro structure. You figure out the overall structure of the piece that you've devised. So first, you divide the manuscript up into sections. Uh, maybe you've already done this. You know, for example, you might have a novel with chapter divisions. Great. Um, fine. On a shorter manuscript, you may not have already divided things into sections. You know, but you might have. You might have. You know kind of some sort of section break or scene break. If you're looking at a screenplay, for example, you'll have, you know, scene headings and so on. Um, whatever it is, you know, in a poem, you might have stanzas. You know, whatever it is doesn't matter. But just take the overall whole manuscript and divide it into sections. Maybe you're in a short story. You maybe you just draw a line across the page every time some scene ends. In a poem, again, you might have a new section every stanza break. In an essay, a paragraph might constitute a section, right? Uh, again, chapters in a novel, it doesn't matter what the sections are, um, just as long as you divide it into sections, according to some sort of logic. 
Um, now, once you have that overall structure sorted out, let's just take chapters of a novel because it's the simplest example. Uh, then you need to open a new file. This is very important. A new file. Or get a piece of paper out or index cards. I like to use index cards. Whatever. doesn't matter. But get some new piece of paper, some new index cards, a new file, like not the word file or not the scrivener file, not the thing that you're looking at, not your novel, but some new document. Um, no, you know, number each section if you haven't already done so. Again, maybe you got 20 chapters in my example, numbered one to 20, okay? Maybe you've got a nine scene short story, you know, parts one to nine. Write these numbers out on your piece of paper, type them in your file, whatever it is, put them on your, you know, get out 20 index cards, one for each chapter in this novel example. Then summarize each section as briefly as you can, with a few sentences, you know, even just some point form notes, just summarize it. What is in that chapter? You know, get a cue card. What I'll do often is this, I'll get a cue card. Let's say again, I got 20 chapters in a novel. Uh, so, well, my cue card is out. I write one to 20 on each of the 20 cue cards, and then I write on each one of them uh, a quick summary of like what happens in that chapter. What's the core thing that it takes place in that chapter? I might write it on the front of the card, and on the back, I might just take some point form notes. Um, so I might note, you know, what characters are in that chapter, for example, what sort of major events take place in that chapter. Now, what you're doing when you do this, however you do it, whether it's, you know, a document on your, a new word file and point form notes or cue cards or whatever, whatever you're, you're doing is you're creating a summary document that provides you with an overview of the manuscript structure. So now you've got an overview of the manuscript structure. Now, there's two major things to note in this summary document. Now, in a novel with chapters, this is my example. Uh, the core thing you're going to note is the actual uh, thing that happens. So, in a novel, uh, we're going to use a novel, for example. Uh, what is the actual plot action that occurs in the chapter? You know, maybe you've got a hero who gets shot in the leg and has to seek medical attention. And you know, going to get medical attention is what the chapter is about. You know, he, he's trying to get to the hospital, and the journey occupies the chapter. So a few notes to that effect is all you need. You know, maybe just that sentence. You know, Bob gets shot in the leg, has to seek medical attention, travels uh, to a hospital. Uh, again, we might have a few more details about like who's with him. You know, what happens on the way to the hospital. Uh, just summarizing what happens in the chapter. Now, in this case, again, you're you're editing, so you already wrote the chapter. You're just reading it through, uh, summarizing it in real you know point form, plot action. More or less what you're doing here is you're creating an after-the-fact outline. So if you've got experience in writing outlines, you might just write this document like an outline. Uh, later on, when the novel is completed, you might use this as the basis for a synopsis. Um, you know, maybe you wrote an outline before and now you're just going to revise that, perhaps. But regardless, um, this, keep these notes because you might use them later when you finally finalize your draft to synopsize your novel. The other thing you want to make sure, outside of plot action, like what happens, uh, you need to figure out what is the major elements that appear in the chapter. So again, I might know what characters appear, or what objects feature significantly. I like to note objects a lot. I might note thematic elements uh, as well. You know, if some anything related to the core conflict or the characters. Maybe this chapter is fundamentally about the hero's uh, internal conflict between 
uh, her desire to do things on her own and her need to ask for help if she's going to succeed. Maybe that's the sort of, you know, conflict inside this person in this chapter that she's kind of navigating. So my, I might note that alongside um, the plot action, you know, the, you know, of trying to get to the hospital. Eventually, what you get is you'd a document, you know, or a set of cue cards that you know, are basically functioning like a document. Whatever you have, you have a single, separate set of notes that summarize your manuscript. Now, this next part of the first stage of my editing process is the most important and most difficult part of the entire editing process. And in my view, it's also the most neglected aspect of the editing process. Even though this is where you will identify and solve almost all of your manuscript's major problems, whenever people come to me with help on a manuscript, 90% of the time, uh, I can solve the problem uh, in this stage of the process. Because often what the problem is in a manuscript is structural problems. Usually when people come to me with writing problems, like unless it's a first year creative writing class or something, usually people come to me and they're asking me for help with something uh, in terms of a manuscript they've already written. Often what it is is that they have a core structural problem. Like they often are a very good writer. Uh, and the problem that they have is this invisible problem of how they've put this story together. Uh, and this is the stage of the uh, process where you're ideally going to solve those problems. The reason you need to really focus on this part of the editing process so heavily and first is so that you can make major structural decisions and major structural changes before you get down to the nuts and bolts of trying to rewrite and rework the language. And if you neglect this part of the process, you will just keep rewriting and revising and not improving the manuscript, uh, unless you haphazardly do so. In fact, you might even make it worse. I often see people make their book worse in this process because they improve the language uh, and they don't deal with structural issues. So they start to really mask problems rather than fixing problems. Uh, you know, often you don't even know whether you're making progress or cutting your own hamstrings when you are editing because you've skipped this part of the process. Uh, you know, as the cliche goes, you might be rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic when what you need to do is set a new course. So at the early stage of the editing process, when you want to do that, you want to set a new course. So now I want to warn you that what I'm going to tell you to do next is the most important thing that you could possibly do when you want to edit your manuscript. But it's also the hardest thing to do and the thing that nobody wants to do. And people push back on me all the time about it, even though it works. I consistently have people come up to me and they have these big editing problems and I sit in front of them and I solve the editing problem in 10 minutes uh, by just doing this quick point form a summary document. I can sometimes solve an editing problem uh, in a manuscript without having read the manuscript. Just going off the thing that somebody is saying to me about describing their own manuscript. Uh, and it's not because I'm a genius or I'm super smart or anything. It's because this is a, a process that works. Uh, and it's just something that people don't do. So it's not that the person couldn't have done it on their own and they need my help. It's just that they didn't do it. Uh, therefore, they need help. So, here's what you do now. You've got a summary document. So you've got this after the fact kind of outline. You've got your 20 chapters of your novel summarized briefly on cue cards or whatever. 
Now you take the novel, you take the manuscript, you put it away, and you look at the summary document. You look at those cue cards only, and you make all of your major editing decisions. All of your major editing decisions. I want to say that a third time. You make all of your major editing decisions on the basis of the summary document without looking at your manuscript. Let that sink in for a second because this is you know, unfathomable to people sometimes. Although when you kind of think through it, it makes a lot of sense. You have to look closely at the summary document. You have to look really closely at the outline, this after-the-fact outline of your novel. And do not look at your novel. Do not look at the manuscript. Look at the summary document. If you look really closely, you'll start to notice a few things. And this will be hard to do at first because it's kind of confusing. You haven't done it before. But don't worry, you'll get into practice. The first thing you need to figure out is, is anything out of place? What I mean by that is whether or not some of the chapters, in this example, uh, we're using a novel, or do some of the chapters need to be in a new location? Could I rearrange the chapters in some new way? Now invest some time here testing things out. Uh, I, it might help to write, again, your chapter summaries on index cards, like I say, and then just you know move it around. Um, Sometimes in a short story, I'll just cut the short story up and I'll start rearranging it, paper slips on a piece of paper. Uh, or like I'll cut my summary document up, I mean. Like I'll print out the summary and I'll, it's like say 20 uh, you know, sections summarized. I'll just cut them into slips of paper and just start moving them around. Uh, in a software program like Scrivener, you can do this kind of thing in an index card view or what have you. Um, however you want to do it. And Scrivener is great because if you you know, you can flip your scenes around to index card view, so you can't actually see the text, but it's just, but you can see like the index card summary of it, and then you start moving things around. You can actually print test versions of the manuscript. So something that I'll sometimes do in Scrivener if I have time is I'll rearrange chapters or sections, and I'll output a new manuscript file that has all these chapters or all these sections in a different order. Uh, and this lets me actually reread the manuscript with different chapter arrangements if I want and see if something works better. Or I can give like a different chapter arrangement to a different person. Again, I have like five readers and give each of them a five different versions of the book, say. Um, you know, I could reverse the entire chronology of the story. You know, I, can make, I could go reorder it from chapters one to 20. I could reverse order everything if I wanted and print that out uh, if I wanted to look at you know, how it reads that way. Uh, in, a program like Scrivener is really powerful in terms of that yeah, in this part of the editing process. Um, but you don't need that. Again, you just be using cue cards on a, piece, on, on a table or something. I use cue cards a lot. I like them because they're tactile. You can move them around with your hands. Uh, but you know, some people are better with the digital stuff. One thing, again, to figure is like, is something out of order? Like, if you rearrange things into a new order, uh, what happens? You know, does it work better? Uh, does it kind of unlock things? Sometimes you can create suspense just by reordering uh, sections a little bit, like delay information by moving it somewhere else. Another thing to consider here is whether you should delete a chapter. If you can just delete a chapter and things still read fine, you know, if the plot basically, uh, if there's no plot action in one of these chapters or minimal plot action, like the, getting to the hospital in my example, what if we just, instead of having this journey where the character got to the hospital, 
what if we just deleted that chapter? So they get hurt in chapter three. Chapter four, they go to the hospital. Chapter five, they're in the hospital. What if I delete chapter four, getting to the hospital? And we go right from they get hurt, they wake up in the hospital. What happens if you do that? It's worth just thinking through it and testing it, right? What do you lose? Like what actually else happened in the chapter? If all that happened was they got from point A to point B, and there's not much else that happened that you couldn't just shove into the chapter after or the chapter before, like what's really necessary in that chapter? That's a really important thing to consider. Because again, you want to figure out things like, should I delete chapter four before you start rewriting it? What people do is they start rewriting chapter four. This is what, where, where people run into mistake. They'll start rewriting chapter four because they know it doesn't work. They're like, something's wrong with chapter four and they'll start revising it, they'll start rewriting it. But maybe they should just delete it. Maybe it just has no purpose, structurally speaking, in the book. So maybe it reads fine, but it doesn't matter. Nothing happens in the sense that nothing, you know, changed. They just got from point A to point B. Again, we could just jump cut, you know, more or less. You can just have an ellipsis. Uh, you just wake up in the hospital. Something to consider, you know, could you just delete the chapter? If you can delete a chapter and it still reads fine or it still, you know, works, then you have a severe structural problem. And sometimes deleting will solve the problem. Uh, many of those problems, in fact, can just be solved by pressing delete. Uh, you know, often you have, you know, repetitions uh, in a story. For one thing you'll find a lot in this structural breakdown is you'll have, like, say, 20 chapters, and you'll realize two of the chapters have almost identical things happening in them. Well, again, you just delete one or combine the two or whatever. You know, maybe you don't want to delete a whole chapter and you bulk at that. But let me ask you this. Would you rather rewrite the chapter 100 times trying to solve an impossible problem? If the problem is that the chapter needs to be deleted, you can't fix the problem by rewriting the chapter. That's just all there is to it. At best, you can mask the problem. And some people get very good at masking the problem. But I'm guessing that's not your goal. The delete key is your friend, and I know that people want to save things in the first draft, but you know, it really helps to get over that mindset. Try to see, this is a core, a, a core thing to try to figure out in the summary document. Try to see if any of your chapters are repeating the same sort of action, like I said, or if they could be combined, if you could just kill one. Um, think about whether or not it would be possible to just kill a chapter without ruining the plot. Again, another thing to consider is if you should add a chapter so you might move things around, you might delete something, you might add something. You know, is there some sort of gap here? Is there something that doesn't maybe make sense? Is it hard to understand like how they got from point A to point B? Uh, are there any places where the plot seems to jump forward too abruptly? Maybe the momentum or the buildup doesn't seem uh, quite to make sense. If a character doesn't seem motivated to action in one moment, it might just be that they have to rewrite that moment, but it could be you have to add a scene to start motivating them later. So one thing I might do at this point is consider things like the reoccurrence of objects and characters. So I, I often try to like, again, note all the objects and characters and I'll go back through my manuscript and figure out, well, where did I set up that character? You know, where does the character appear last? How often is the character occurring? I'll look at patterns like, where are character, secondary characters uh, coming into play, where are secondary objects coming into play, and, and so on and so forth. And I'll start to figure out, like, are they spaced and paced well enough apart? Sometimes what you see is, like, there's a lot of clumps where, like, we're dealing with one character a lot, and then we're dealing with another character a lot, and so on. But maybe there should be more of a spacing and a pacing. 
uh, one time I was editing a screenplay and I noticed that there was a section about 30 pages long. So this is a 110 page screenplay and it's 30 pages in 110 pages. Little over a quarter of the screenplay. Uh, one of the main characters did not appear. So a big, you know, quarter of the screenplay all of a sudden, the main character doesn't appear. Uh, now that's a major structural issue, especially in a screenplay. Um, it required me to add some scenes where the character was doing things and move around other scenes that I didn't have so much of a gap because it was just so weird. People were just basically forgetting that this character was existing because it didn't seem like they were main characters. Like in a screenplay, you're very condensed, right? So uh, the situation I was getting into was um, there was a main character that readers didn't believe was a main character uh, because they disappeared. And so it seemed like it seemed strange when they came back in uh, and everything around that character just didn't seem motivated. Like it didn't seem clear why the characters cared so much about them, for example, when they didn't seem to really be there. Now the problem was, of course, in the background of the story, the character was doing all these things, but they weren't on screen doing them. And so, you know, I had to move things around. I had to reorder uh, scenes. I had to add more scenes in. I had to give them something to do in a scene. Uh, we had moved from the background to the foreground and so on. If a main character can disappear for 30 minutes in a two-hour movie, a 30-minute stretch, then that person is not a main character. That's just what it boils down to. You might think they are, but the story knows better. So you need to figure out, like, one, you got to strip them back. You might strip them back in that case, or you might build them forward. You know, it depends. Are they a main character? Yes or no is sort of the decision you have to make at the structural point. And then you have to figure out how to solve that problem. Again, structurally speaking. So... If you're gonna, you know, flesh the character out, you gotta add scenes now. Uh, if you're going to reduce that character to a secondary character, maybe you're deleting scenes or just revising scenes so they're not in it, perhaps, is the plan. At this point, you're not doing any rewriting, you're just making a plan. The fundamental goal here is to manufacture objectivity. So, you move away from your thoughts and your feelings about the manuscript. You put the manuscript away. Uh, you're looking at the manuscript as an editor, not a writer. Uh, you're not even, in this case, in this stage, even looking at the manuscript. Another thing I noticed in that uh, screenplay I was working on when I was doing structural work is that the screenplay, it, it had a number of female characters, but it didn't have enough to, for them to do. Like, they weren't, um, they just weren't appearing, uh, again, as consistently as I wanted them to appear, they weren't doing, they weren't interacting uh, with other characters in the same respect. You can see things like that very easily when you start to boil down, uh, you know, a 30 page, you know, chunk of text to just some quick point forms about who appears where for how long. So uh, it seemed to me that, you know, because of how I wrote these characters that I had these very strong female presences in the script and they seem to have a lot of important scenes. That's how it read. But statistically and objectively, I was wrong. That's just how it read. It's not how it was. And that's sort of what you're trying to figure out at this stage. Women in the script I had written were barely present, and their presence was more or less coincided with these particular moments in the main character's uh, life. Now, that's fine to a degree, given the storyline, you know, often. But in other respects, it's not fine because in this case, it was they weren't really functioning as fleshed out characters. Even though I spent a lot of time trying to flesh them out and trying to make them function that way, it wasn't working because uh, my subjective perception of them didn't match up 
uh, with the objective status of the manuscript. You know, what did I write is the sort sort of core question you're trying to ask in editing. You're just sure trying to figure that out. What did I write? So you wrote something, but what did you write? You may think you know, but often you don't know, or at least you don't know structurally speaking. You don't know underneath the skeleton of what you did. It's a difficult question to answer, and the reason it's so difficult to answer is because it's deceptive. It seems simple. You should know what you wrote because you wrote it, right? Wrong. Now, I'm the wrong person to ask what I wrote because unlike everybody else on earth, I know what I was trying to write. So the ideal image of the thing that I attempted to write is in my head and it's preventing me from seeing clearly the thing I actually did write. If you're writing from, writing from an outline, uh, most of your broad structure problems should theoretically already have been solved in the outlining process, but there may still be opportunities to strengthen the story uh, and you know, you now got it fleshed out in front of you, so you may have a lot of opportunities to strengthen it that you can find at this stage. Of course, in writing, you know, we often veer into these areas we didn't plan to go, even if we did have a plan to begin with. I outline really extensively. I'm just gonna... <laughs> See, I didn't plan for that, but, you know, there it is. Um, if it was a structure uh, that I had pre-planned, or if it was after the fact, you know, you're going to really piece this... Uh, apart, I might, you know, have to deal with that thing that didn't, you know, end up in my scenario. I outline pretty extensively myself, but I don't feel confident the story is really progressing properly and organically unless I see myself deviating from the outline. So I want to come up with new ideas, and I want to come up with better ideas in the process of writing, but I still, you know, am using outlines for a lot of respects. Uh, even in a situation where you're following an outline, producing an after-the-fact outline like this helps you to really get a handle on the story that you produce. And of course, if you haven't written according to an outline, then you need to, to know, like, <laughs> that may be your process you think works for you, but if you have not written your first draft according to an outline, you've almost certainly created, created massive story problems for yourself. And it's not a weakness in yourself, or it's a weakness in the process of not using an outline. You need an objective perspective in either case to see what it is that you've written. There's just no way that you can produce a clean and well-structured story without a plan. You can't do it. Writers who claim to actually uh, do this, they just compensate for story problems with other strengths. So, for example, they command uh, their style so well that they mask problems. Or they do way more drafts, like I say, than they might have otherwise needed to do. They fix their problems after the fact. You know that's always going to be the case. You're always going to be doing editing, um, but if you don't have a plan, you know, uh, for your editing, you're just going to be going in this kind of random way of haphazardly making things better or worse. And again, it might work for you. I'm not saying that it doesn't work or is a bad idea. It just takes a long time, and you know. Uh, it can end up in this weird scenario where you can become a very good editor but have no idea what you're doing. And I think that it helps to know what you're doing, generally speaking. Either way, you know, however you do things, don't be afraid to fundamentally restructure and alter your story at this point. You know, even if you worked on an you had a plan, you followed the plan, don't be afraid now to throw that plan away. Uh, you're looking at what you wrote and how did it work. You had a plan, but how did the plan work? 
Uh, the whole goal of this first stage of structural editing is to make major changes in the manuscript. Uh, so you're testing the story at this stage. You're trying uh, to experiment with new like structural ideas at the stage. Before you commit to the structure and start revising it, you're now editing uh, for the structure. You're, you're editing the structure itself. Or, you know, you're confirming the strengths of your structure. You know, you might uh, not change things fundamentally. You might have, you know, had a, had a very good structure for some reason. Again, maybe you had a plan and it worked out. Um, before you go on to enhance the strengths of the story, you need to figure out what they are. Um, you're enhancing strengths, you're identifying weaknesses. Uh, before you, you want to enhance strengths and identify weaknesses before you enshrine them. And the fundamental, most important thing you need to do at this stage is to make decisions about the structure and commit to those decisions. So again, this means that you need to really think through the decisions you've already made. Maybe unconsciously. I find a lot of times people make an unconscious decision and they stick to it. Well, you know, why? Let me give you a quick example of an unconscious decision. A lot of times people will say, I'm going to write a novel. It's going to have chap you know, chapters. Okay, why does your novel have chapters? People get to this editing stage and they'll go like, oh, I've got 20 chapters, they'll outline it all. Well, here's a thing to consider. Should you have chapters? Why make these chapter divisions that say chapter one, chapter two, and so on? Uh, what's the reason? If you've got a reason, great, but if you don't have a reason, you know, why not rethink that? The Road by Cormac McCarthy doesn't have chapter divisions. Uh, it just is this endless road. Uh, and it kind of matches nicely the uh, plot action of the novel, which is, you know, to move endlessly down this road. It's very episodic, you know, he has this very kind of fragmentary scenes. It's like scene by scene, one scene after the other. Um, uh, so, you know, it, it's this very fragmentary structure in one sense, but it's also a very linear structure, and it also is very much on the page. It just flows, you know, without a, with just these little chapter, or, or rather section breaks. You don't have the full kind of massive break of a new chapter. And it works great for the road. Um, so, you know, your story, uh, you need to think through these things. Oftentimes it's plot things. Don't be afraid in any case to make massive decisions. Now, it seems like making major changes right now is a lot of work, but actually you're saving yourself work. Uh, so think about it this way. That long chapter you wrote about how your hero, when he was a child, went through a traumatic experience, wouldn't it be better to recut that now than rewrite it 20 times, trying to get it right? Uh, and then keep it in because you rewrote it for so long and the language sparkles. Never mind that it's boring and it doesn't matter. It's so beautifully written. The reason you need to make your decisions on the basis of the summary document and not look at the manuscript is because the language will distract you. A well-written chapter will seem like it is working when it doesn't work. A poorly written chapter will seem like it doesn't work when really it does work. Everything's great except the language. The language can be fixed by rewriting the language. What cannot be fixed by rewriting the language is a structural problem that underpins the language, like the inclusion of a chapter that should be cut. So at this stage, you may also want to make some major decisions about your characters. Should characters be combined, for example? Should you be a new, introduce a new character? Do you want a new subplot? Do you want a whole other storyline that parallels your main plot in some way? Uh, think big with your changes at this stage. You know, this is the stage where you're in no 
longer bound to the manuscript that you wrote. You put it to the side, you're looking at the summary document. You've got a rough draft in front of you, but you're putting it to the side. You're not beholden to that draft. Uh, you look at it uh, and you're trying, if you look at that draft when you're trying to edit, what you're gonna see is stuff that's already there. It sounds stupid to say it, but think about that for a second. If you look at the draft you wrote, you'll see things that are already there. You need to put it away and look at the summary document and think about what isn't there. What is not there? What if everything was different? The sky's the limit in terms of the changes you can make uh, at any point, but especially at this point. Don't feel married to your draft. Think through the structure. What if you had a different ending? What if you had uh, things in a different order? What if you introduced a new subplot? What if you took uh, this character and made them the main character instead? Um, big, big, big changes. That's what I mean by macro structure. You're looking at the overall structure, you're thinking big in terms of possible changes. Doesn't mean you have to make all these changes, but you're just at least thinking through them, you're testing them, and then you may decide to make them. Now, once you're satisfied, uh, you've got it figured out, you've made some you know, changes that you planned. Again, you haven't made any changes, you just made them in your head. You've planned changes. Then you redraft with a focus on those changes. So you go back to the manuscript at this point uh, with a kind of point form checklist of things you're going to do. So maybe it's like delete chapter four, you know, add uh, a cha new chapter 21 where you know, some, this thing happens. Um, take chapters six and seven and flip them around, you know, re reorder them uh, so it goes eight and seven, um, whatever. You know, you got this big checklist now of changes that you need to make to the overall structure. You go back to the manuscript and you rework everything you identified as needing to be reworked. And you resist the temptation to go beyond those planned changes. So you delete chapter four. Uh, when it said, you know, flip chapters eight and seven, you do that next. You don't go rewriting chapter six. If there's nothing to do with chapter six, you don't deal with it now. You don't start rewriting things. You're still just focusing on structure. Don't worry about how the whole uh, thing works. If I decided to throw maybe my ending and go with a new ending, then I, at this point, would just delete and draft the ending. I wouldn't touch anything else. If I've decided to add a chapter again, I'll only draft a new chapter. When the second draft is complete, it will still be a lousy draft in terms of the actual language on the page, but it should still work on the overall macro structural level. And then uh, it's time to look at the microstructure. So uh, I'm gonna like leave you with that, and then next uh, week we'll get further into this editing process and talk about the microstructure. <laughs>